What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, a podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the show. This is episode 20, which features Tawny Lyons. Tawny is a therapist and life coach, and we discuss attachment styles, masculinity, relationships, etc., etc. It's a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, She is fantastic. Um, Much like MC, she is really adept at explaining things in a way that make it easy for for myself to understand. So I, I hope it does the same for you. Stay tuned uh, for the end. I do have a, a small announcement about the website. It's it's not that big a deal, but um, I, I do have it at the end. So check that out. Um, I hope to get back to regularly putting these things out. The 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 weather, the winter weather, I think uh, threw me a bit just because anytime my kids have off school, they're here, and so that kind of puts things um kind of kind of changes up my schedule plus I have been traveling a little bit more for work so that also throws a wrench into my schedule so I hope to get back to doing Tuesdays and Thursdays um if you're listening to this when I release it which is the 13th of February uh tomorrow the 14th I'll be doing a discord chat for Valentine's Day a uh, collective FU to Valentine's Day um so if you want to join that um hit me up if you're in the Facebook group, uh, then you know uh, the Discord link. If you don't have it, it's in there. Just uh, search in the announcements. Um, if you need anything else at all, ever, please don't hesitate to to get a hold of me. Um, I hope you're all well. Here we go. Episode 20. Uh, Tony, let's just dive right into it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Tony Lyons. I'm an integrative therapist um, and coach writer in the San Francisco Bay Area and I really love focusing with folks on everything related to intimacy and self-love and having healthier conscious and intentional relationships. And and so on that note today we were going to dive into attachment styles. Um, I just did an episode with MC which um, touched briefly on attachment styles so maybe you want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Can you start by defining what is an attachment style? Yeah. So I want to first off start out with a disclaimer that I'm not an attachment researcher. I'm a clinician and a therapist. So that's really important for me to say because attachment theory, yeah, is um, the most research theory of human development that we have actually. So there's been so much, so much research done since the fifties and sixties, starting with John Bowlby. And so goes to caveat to say, you know, different therapists, different clinicians that you speak with, they're going to say things differently. Sure. Um, But attachment theory and rather attachment styles are the different way that we attach to our primary caregivers and then later how we attach with romantic partners and sometimes just people in general. So that could be also in work settings or friendships and of course in your family systems, like with siblings and whatnot. So it's really this balance between autonomy and connection. And, and so these are born from childhood then, right? I mean, these, these are, um, they're not choices that you make, they're, they're, they stem from how you went through your childhood, how you connected with your parents. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, totally. Uh, Actually, usually before 18 months of age, we have this set in us, the three insecure attachment styles that are fairly well known are um, 
dismissive, which is also called avoidant. There's preoccupied, which is also called anxious. And there's disorganized, which is also called fearful avoidant. Then of course there's secure attachment. And there's actually about 19 subcategories at least underneath those ones as well. But those are the popularized ones that we typically talk about. Really 19. Yeah, there's about 19. Yeah. And, and wow. it's really complex. Like, so there's this thing called the adult attachment interview. And just to learn how to do this interview takes one year of training just on that. Wow. So this is pretty involved stuff. It's not, it's pretty complex. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think it's important to note that, right? Because sometimes we'll hear, oh, earn secure attachment in four weeks. And it's like, right. that would be really nice, but not possible. <laughs> well, let's, let's sort of go down that road. How do you, if you are in the sort of, um, less than ideal ones, I don't know what, how you, less you, than ideal. You, you defined it as something earlier. I can't, uh, you, yeah. They're insecure. not insecure. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so those types, um, how do you, how do you, I don't want to say fix them because that that's not the right way, but how do you get to secure from those? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's very, um, it's very individual. However, depending on which category you're in first, it's going to take awareness of that. So for instance, if you're anxious or preoccupied, then most likely your parents were unavailable in a way that made you feel like you needed to work harder for their attention. Mm. So you becoming aware of what's happening in your attachment system, in your body, in your nervous system, and how you act in relationship when you feel maybe triggered or like people are pushing away, becoming aware of your protest behavior. So if you're feeling like somebody's pushing you away or you want to be closer to them, do you typically text 10 times? Right? Or do you yell at them? Or do you shut down? What happens for you in those moments? So really bringing a lot of mindfulness into your situations, especially when you feel like something is wrong is one so, of the first steps. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's awareness, right? So it's just it, realizing yeah. that um, you're, you're not happy with the way you're, is it interacting in your relationships or relating to another person in your relationships? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's interacting in relationships. It's also interacting with yourself, right? So typically, there's a lot of self-abandonment coming in. So really, initially, what brought me into this work is inner parenting and recognizing my own experiences with feeling like something, I wasn't feeling consistently connected to partners, even in long-term partnerships. So if you're feeling that kind of emotional loneliness, either with caretakers when you were younger in romantic uh, relationships, that's kind of a flag to me that there's probably some sort of relational trauma or relational dysfunction happening. And so then you need to take steps towards relational healing, which first starts with the intimacy with your own way of being with yourself and in partnership. And so is that um, uh, sort of positive self-talk so, sort of, or at least being paying attention to how you're speaking to yourself? Is that sort of step one? Yeah, I mean, it is that. And it's also first and foremost, like you're saying, you know, that attention on yourself, that presence, that awareness. So attuning to your own needs. So if a need comes up, maybe it's a need that you that you have been shamed for in the past or that you've said, I don't really need that kind of pushed it down. So really attuning to that and saying, this is a need that I have and becoming that consistent loving connection that you may not have received from childhood. So is it a matter of becoming... Uh, uh, or getting to a secure attachment style, or is it a matter of navigating your own attachment style or both maybe? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's both because we have to learn how to navigate our own attachment style in order to, quote unquote, earn secure attachment. Gotcha. Right. So it's first becoming aware if you're anxious and preoccupied, how to move into secure attachment. If you're more avoidant, it's becoming aware of, uh, you know, you rejecting connection and kind of turning your attachment system off when you feel rejected is very typical. So then you stop seeking closeness, you become distanced, maybe you deny your need for intimacy um, or your need for partnership in general. So so as you can see, probably like anxious and avoidant, especially have very different ways of coming into secure attachment because they have different woundings. Gotcha. Okay. So let's um, actually, before, before I hone in, I'm just curious, is there a typical, um, way that men are versus women in attachment style, or is it just across the board? I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know how much research has been done on that. And I want to say because of the patriarchal society that we're in, especially in Western culture, that that avoidant attachment is more associated with hypermasculinity. I can do this on my own, like the whole bootstrap idea. I don't need connection. I don't need love. Uh, Bell Hook says that love has been really um, degraded over time because it's seen as women's work. So in general, uh, probably more avoidant, but I don't know if that's a biological component or a cultural conditioning component. Yeah, good point. All right, well, let's dive into the specific ones if we can. So let's talk about anxious. And that means that your, uh, your childhood Well, define it for me. What does it mean you probably happened in your childhood? Yeah, so what probably happened was you had inconsistent caregivers. And that could be for a myriad of reasons, right? Maybe they were young. Maybe they worked a lot. Maybe they didn't know how to attune to you. Um, But how you learned to get your needs met by was by being very um, preoccupied with them and their needs. So that could come from people pleasing or reading what your parents needed before they knew, right? Like that kind of mind like uh, melding kind of thing. And so you're hyper, you have a hyper activation of your attachment system. So you're actively trying to seek that closeness because you rarely get it. Gotcha. You want that attention. You want that love. Okay. So, and then avoidant, I mean, it sounds self-explanatory, but, but define that one as well. Yeah, so avoidant is, I mean, that's where you have inconsistent caregiving, but it's too maybe an extreme, right? Maybe they're always working or maybe uh, you don't get your needs met kind of ever in a way for, again, a lots of different reasons. Sure. Don't want to demonize parents here. Sure. Um, and so then you learn, I can only rely on myself. Mm. I only have me. So you deactivate that part of yourself. You turn off, maybe you want to become uh, like harder or tougher, or you focus only on work or whatever. You you really don't see the point in relationships a lot of the time, especially because what's really interesting about this is typically we'll find ourselves in patterns where we're proving ourselves right. Like the anxious and the avoidant will find each other in partnership with one another, which means you have that push and pull dynamic but that also means that the belief that you have for relationships, like for the anxious, nobody can ever meet my needs or for the avoidant love means enmeshment. That means that you're finding it because both of your attachment systems are activated and you're doing the most annoying thing possible. So is that typical? Is that the typical pairing? Oh my God. Yes. 
really. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it rings true to me because I think I'm, I, I, and, and there's a, there's a third one, which is a blend and we'll get to that one. But for me, I think I'm, was pretty avoidant because I don't think, especially for my mother, I didn't get uh, what I needed from her. And so I think I learned to rely on myself, uh, especially because once I had siblings, then they got all the attention. And so I really felt like self-reliance was, and, mm -hmm. and, and none of this shit is conscious, right? I mean, we just, this is just how we survived. This is how we, um, yes. yeah, survived really. Mm -hmm. um, but my ex was, especially early on, very clingy. Like, mm -hmm. like if I got mad about anything, it was like the end of the world to her. So codependent, anxious attachment style, but that's neither yeah. here nor there, but I'm not surprised to hear that that's what occurs, that 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 mm -hmm. that is being drawn to each other but let's talk about the last mm -hmm. one which is sort of a blending right it is a blending however there's typically some kind of trauma that has happened mm. so there this one is very fear-based because the child goes to the caretaker and what they receive is frightening behavior back mm. so that could be they get this mixed message of come here go away and that could be abuse, right? Physical, emotional, that kind of thing. But it could also be, and most typically is a parent who has had their own disorganized attachment. So they don't know how to connect with the child and they have their own trauma going on. Sure. So if they have their own trauma, they don't know how to emotionally regulate for the child. So then the child is like, they have this hyperactivation and deactivation inside and they kind of don't know what what is up, what is down, and how to be an emotional connection, because both ways seem pretty scary. Wow, uh, there's a lot there. Uh, it's just, it's, it makes me think about my own um, childhood, and uh, it, it, it sort of paints a picture as to why I ended up the way I did. And that was because of my, my mother's mainly, I believe. And that's a, that's a question. Is, is the attachment style mainly come from the mother? It's your primary caretaker. So usually it's the mother. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and most of the research from the fifties and sixties has, has been done on mothers, mm -hmm. but it could also be with aunts and uncles or teachers even, which is oh, wow. promising. Hmm. Yeah. It's promising for sure. Yeah. No, what kind of, uh, you, you said the first 18 months, does that extend uh, beyond? Because if we're talking teachers and, and other mm -hmm. relatives, um, yeah. Is the core of it developed younger and then it, it can be sort of manipulated, so to speak? You got it. Yeah. So that's kind of like laying down the foundation, right? Like the wiring in our brains, but we, our brains are neuroplastic, right? They're malleable yeah. to a certain extent. So throughout time, we can totally shift the way that we attach. That's how we earn secure attachment. And that includes if when we're younger, uh, we have really secure attachments with with people like teachers that are making us feel safe and secure that we can go to for regulation. Gotcha. Okay. So before we dive back into sort of uh, getting to secure, I, I want to mm -hmm. talk about, you know, I think my situation is uh, in terms of, you know, my, my marriage ending, I think has, uh, it rings true to a lot of other men. And, mm -hmm. and I think that perhaps one of the core components of the disintegration is the um, misalignment, so to speak, of attachment styles. So I think, you know, I was probably mostly avoidant, but probably had some uh, disorganized in there. And I think my ex was probably mostly anxious, but perhaps had some, um, some um, uh, of the other in there as well. Disorganized. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so let's, I mean, it's, 
it's not a conscious choice. You pick, you pick your partner, not based on this. It's not like you have a check sheet and you're like, so you're anxious. Okay. That's opposite. That works for me, but it's, <laughs> no, it's our bodies feel it. <laughs> right. But so it's, it's a, we, but we consciously choose these people. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is sort of a understanding why it didn't work out even after 12, 15 years, whatever there are, there are core reasons. And, and perhaps, and this is where I, I try to put on to, to the guys that, that I interact with and, and that listen to the podcast that if nothing else, you, yes, she might, she might have done X, Y, and Z, but you, you picked her and there was probably indications that there, there were issues long before the separation happened. So I guess what I'm trying to say is in a way, don't we have to take responsibility for not recognizing these things or is it just natural and it, 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 it kind of is what it is sort of thing. Does that make any sense? I, I think I get where you're going with it. And it sounds like you're talking about accountability when it yes. comes in discernment, when it comes to choosing partners. And I think, you know, what's that saying when you know better, do better. Yes. And, and so with attachment, I think it's pretty cool because it's the system that you're bringing in into your awareness. So instead of focusing on just you and her or you and him or whatever, you can say, okay, well, this is what's happening to my, in my attachment system with you. It's like creating a third that kind of takes the pressure off in relationship. And also when you're dating to see, oh, I'm noticing, I'm feeling that feeling that I felt with my ex-wife before what's there. And then the second step is, do they notice it too? And are they willing to work on it? Or are they just wanting to continue the patterns? And so it's like, you know, what's it, what it's reminding me of is if you consistently find yourself in relationships with emotionally unavailable people, it's time for you to look at your own emotional unavailability. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is we are responsible. You know, maybe, maybe in the past we didn't know, but now we do, uh, you know, it, it is, it is out there. It is something you can research and look into and figure out for yourself. And so now you can be conscious of the next person um, yeah. that you choose. So, so you can avoid the issues that were had before. Um, so anyway, I just, I'm a, I'm big on accountability because it, even if someone wronged you, cheated on you and left you, um, you still bear some responsibility uh, for the relationship playing out the way that it did. So if we don't take responsibility for that, we're never going to fix it. Uh, that, you know, the, the next one will be the same. Um, so I, I want to, you know, no, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, w I want guys to, 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 to be, to be accountable for themselves because that's the only person you can be accountable for anyway. No, it's true. And it's the only person that you can really actively change. Right. Yes. And in that accountability, I have a hope that there's also a lot of self-compassion in there too, because if you have an insecure attachment, there's probably been a lot of hurt and pain in your life around relationships. Yeah. So it can feel like swimming upstream when you're changing your attachment. Yeah. Well, let's get to that. And uh, excellent segue. Um, how do you get to secure besides, okay, so step one we covered, which is sort of awareness. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you do from there after you're aware and now when you say awareness, do you, do you mean awareness of exactly what your style is or just that you're not at secure? Well, I mean, awareness, the awareness on a day-to-day -day basis almost or within relationships, even at work and stuff, because nobody is 100% secure. That's important to know. Nobody is 100% in their slot, right? We're all weirdo humans. <laughs> so, 
to look at it more from a place of I'm feeling more preoccupied today with relationships or I'm feeling more avoidant, right? So just kind of noticing where you're at on the spectrum and coming into your center again and again. Like, how can I fulfill the need that I want if I'm feeling like I'm reaching out and grasping in sort of a way that feels icky to me? And if I'm pushing away, how can I take vulnerable steps into my authenticity for connection? Which is, I th I mean, it's, that's hard. It's easier, all of this stuff, all of this sort of... Uh positive mental health and, and um, getting to better attachment styles, better relationships. It's, it's all easier said than done, but, mm -hmm. but it is possible, right? No, it's definitely possible. And it is, it's like, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world. You can take all the classes, you can read all the books, but if you aren't actually embodying it, if you aren't actually practicing it and feeling into your literal body, your sensations, your emotional reality and your needs, probably nothing's going to change. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, I feel like for, for myself, I've done a lot of work, but I don't know that I will know where I'm truly at until I'm in another relationship, right? Because I don't know that I can, I mean, it's not the same, uh, a work relationship, which by the way, I don't really have one because I work from home and, mm -hmm. you know, there's nobody around, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your view. <laughs> um, so I, I can't, I don't feel like I can work on those things. Um, it, it, how do you do that if you're not in a relationship? Well, I mean, there's lots of ways. I really see therapy and not just me, but lots of other people as a secure base, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where people really do earn secure attachment. The majority of the time is within therapy, being able to have that person that you, that is safe and that can bring you into your own safe and social space. So you can bring more and more of your authenticity into the, into your awareness, basically. So you can become more vulnerable because a lot of the time there are huge fears underneath of sure. abandonment or enmeshment. So yeah, let's talk about abandonment. It, 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 in other words, you'll say something and the therapist will be like, what, what the hell's wrong with you? Like get out of my office. Is that, yeah. that's sort of the fear, right? And, and that's the fear in, in relationships and life in general, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Which makes sense from a primal sense, right? We want to be a part, we're, we're social beings. We want to be a part of everybody. Also, I think it's really cool to note that we have bigger prefrontal cortexes when we have healthy relationships, which means that's our executive functioning. So we're actually able to be like more resilient in life and be in a more stable place when we have healthier relationships. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So we want to be social, right? We, we know yeah, maybe unconsciously that that's how we get good at life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I always try to look at this, uh, all, of, all of these things that I, that I talk about to people with it from the view of someone who has just been left. Mm -hmm. um, but also maybe if they made the decision because they weren't getting what they needed and, and tried for years and years and years. But but in general, it's, it's, the, it's the man who has been left. Mm -hmm. um, so in fuck I had a point and I totally lost it thank god I can edit maybe abandonment what I'm thinking right now is you know being left being cheated on um what can happen is feeling like it's about me there's something wrong with me there's something that I did this core shame identity and um attachment theory and recognizing that it's it can be this other thing that's happening, this relational dynamic underneath the surface can help to create some space around yeah. not taking it so personally. That's kind of what I was going with. That's that's what I was trying to get to is to, to not bear the full burden, um, feel like it's all your fault. It's mm -hmm. something that I think uh, is a part of the process. Um, 
I don't know if you can counteract that. I, I don't know. Maybe you have to let it run its course. I, I think we all hit that point. But if we're aware of these things that make it possible for us to see another way, I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you're the one doing the cheating or the leaving too, you know, people think it's easier to be left than, I mean, it's easier to leave than to be left. But a lot of times there's a big abandonment one there because if you're leaving because you're afraid to be left, then both people are emotionally unavailable. So just like you're saying, you know, there's, there's accountability there or a lack of communication or not knowing how to have healthy conflict, which is a huge, huge step towards being, uh, becoming more secure is recognizing how you are in conflict. Yeah. And, and again, like how, how do you, how do you test those waters w- without having any water? You know what I mean? Without like, a partner? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear you. And I think for me and for other people that I've seen, it's in friendships, mm. you know, because it's really important that you have secure attachment more than just your partner. At least that's how I view it, right? Because one person can't be everything for you. And sometimes that can really put the pressure on to where a relationship will break, right? Mm, true. So, you know, reaching out to friends and I imagine, especially as a man, that that can be challenging sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's to be super vulnerable. It's basically the premise of what I'm doing is the need for that. The the lack of that is detrimental. In my view, it leads to suicide. Um, The numbers are staggering. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, um, divorced men uh, killed themselves at a rate of 38 a day. Gosh, that breaks my heart. Yeah, it's terrible. And and I, you know, it, it, there's nuance to that data. And I don't know if it's guys that were just divorced, or maybe they were divorced 10 years ago, maybe they even remarried. I'm not sure. I just know that men that were divorced, it was 14,000 total. And if you break that down 30 a day, and I think, you know, I'm sure there are many reasons. I don't know many, but I'm sure there, there are more, there's more than one. But I think one of them has to be the, the, the lack of I don't want to say courage because that's not appropriate, but the lack of just being vulnerable, period. Uh, we're not good at it. We're, we're not. We've been told all of our lives to not be that, to be the yeah. opposite of that, to swallow your emotions, to stop crying, to be a man, man up, all that kind of shit. Yes, 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 yes. The man box. I'm such a huge proponent of men's mental health because I think it's so incredibly important. We need more healthy masculinity, not not, not, not less. You know, agreed. So on that yeah. note, let's talk about masculinity in terms of what is it? What do you think the definition is? Um, you know, that's interesting as a woman to be asked that question. I, I really love gender and <laughs> so it's fun to talk about, but I think first and foremost, what's coming up for me is anybody who identifies as a man is masculine, right? First and foremost, I don't know that we need, do we, how do we defend, how do we define being a woman? How do we define, like, are you just mm. a woman? There's something that's coming to mind around typically there's a rite of passage into womanhood of menstruating, right? But what is it for men? I, I don't think we have it, do we? I, maybe you tell me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall that ceremony or that, uh, I didn't get that certificate in the mail. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think there is one. I don't, I don't know. Turning 18. Turning 18 could be something, you know, but I think this is a really big, important question. And it's been on my mind a lot because I, I in a lot of cities, I've been seeing sort of like this, uh, you know, Peter Pan complex in a way. Mm. Right. And I don't know if it has to do with socioeconomic stuff or what, but it's like this forever 
young but emotionally stunted in a way mm. and some people i've heard that men especially become emotionally stunted if they don't integrate their first heartbreaks mm. um but i i'm i'm not sure what exactly it is but i think that it's really maybe important to have that conversation with other men it seems like that's what you're doing for sure because i think men feel lost with different waves of feminism like okay well if women can do everything that we can what is our role right. No, and it's a it is a, a complicated, complex, uh, many layered question, and and mm. and I think the answer is also equally layered and complex. And because mm-hmm. you know we're talking about vulnerability and 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 not taking the 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 worst case path that you can take after this type of scenario, um, but vulnerability is very much a feminine thing, right? That's a, that's sort of a feminine quality, being vulnerable. That's how we label it, but is that how we should label it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I do, I do know that we do, and I think that prevents the vulnerability because we see it as feminine, mm-hmm. and so we shouldn't do that. But it's so incredibly important. But my 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 sort of question or point is, so yeah, where is where is that um, home for men? Right. If we need to be vulnerable, which has a feminine connotation, where how are we masculine? How are we, you know, how are we showing that side of us without being an asshole? Right. Because I think a lot of times masculinity, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to be the connotation is, you know, I'll beat your ass. I'll, you know, hyper masculine. Yes. Tough guy. Toxic. Yeah. Yes. I eat raw meat and shit bullets or whatever. Right. (laughs) Like that's none of it is seems to me be very good, but. But where is where is our home then? And it's mm-hmm. I think it is incredibly confusing. And I think you're right. Feminism seems to be, um, and I'm not knocking it. I, I'm all I have two daughters. Um, I'm all for it. I love women. Um, but they it seems like they certainly have a hold on what they're supposed to be and do. And I part of me feels like they're stealing not stealing, but there's a, there's a bit of masculinity to that. Like rise up, be independent, be on your own. Not that that's again. Should, I don't know if it should be labeled with masculine or not, but it seems to be, right? Um, so my, the long drawn out question is, yeah, what is our, what is our home as, as men? What, where do we find solace in our masculinity? I mean, I think there's a lot there. And what's coming up for me right now is really dismantling the systems within, right? We take right. on all this conditioning from our family systems, but also the culture and society at large. So I hear you on certain waves, maybe the second wave of feminism being more like man up, right? Yes. And so that is actually degrading the feminine as well. Agreed. And how I see it is each person, whether you have a penis or a vagina, has masculine and feminine attributes within them, right? And so it's, it's really tapping into who am I and what is most authentic to me? Am I more feminine of center? Am I more masculine of center? And you can still be like a swole ass bro, but be feminine of center. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, sure. and you know, I want to circle it back around to what you said a moment ago about courage, because if I remember right, the core, the root word of courage is coer. I don't know how to say it. I'm not French, but that means heart. <laughs> ah. And you were kind of talking about that. And so I think if we can redefine that courage and vulnerability and coming from your heart is a place of strength, yeah. I think we can change the world. Well, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, that's kind of the mission in some ways. It's at least to get men to look at things differently, 
um, to question what it means to be a man. And, and in, in doing so, you're saying, in a way, I believe that the old way is not the way. Mm-hmm. It, it just isn't. And to me, my, the, how I am viewing it lately is ownership. Mm-hmm. It's complete ownership of my thoughts, of my feelings, of my emotions, of my strengths, of my weaknesses, all of it. Yes. And if that emotion makes me cry, then so fucking be it. I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're if a it, human. And that's strength. Exactly. I see yes. that as strength. Agreed, 100%. And, and I think that's... Yeah, that's the mission is to sort of change that view and allow men to be human, not just mm-hmm. m- men pounded on your chest. We don't cry type of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think that's so harmful to society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, as a woman growing up in a pretty misogynistic culture who, like many women, has had some pretty unfortunate um, experiences with men, it's. I really think that it takes men talking to other men in this way in order for there to be growth. Just like there's rite of passage, hopefully with women and older women kind of ushering you in to this maturity, right? Of what it means. The same thing for men, like not, maybe you pound your chest, but it's also, you know, you crying and being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, needed uh but like all of this stuff it's easier said than done because we're talking about what centuries of of behavior that we're what we're fighting against yeah absolutely it's really embedded it takes a lot of deconstructing and dismantling these heavy duty systems within us like we all have it um man that was a rabbit hole but it was awesome it's a fun rabbit hole <laughs> yeah that was the best <laughs> Yeah. Um, is there anything else that's like you, you feel like you need to talk about it in, in some of this stuff? I think what's really important to recognize about attachment theory is these ways of being that we've taken on in our life from childhood are ways that really we really kept ourselves protected mm-hmm. because there was something that happened where we felt like we either needed to work for love or we weren't worthy of love or we don't even know what love is what security and safety is and so much of the time i think for a lot of folks that find themselves in push-pull dynamics or dysfunctional relationships or trauma bonding it's not love that you're feeling it's your attachment systems interacting off of each other so it's that excitement it's the drama it's the Mm -hmm. you know dysfunction that you're kind of addicted to in a way which is a strong way to explain it but Um, I think really becoming almost like attracted to consistency. It's not almost like, like literally becoming attracted to consistency is important. Yeah. It's what you know, right? It it, it feels like home, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It feels like home in in the chaos. And if you come from a family of dysfunction, um, which you may have, if you have an insecure attachment and a lot of people have, right. Um, Then retraining, yourself to find consistency and care as something that you actually desire and are worthy of can take a lot of work. Yeah. And that's really important for me to talk about because I think therapy is really important. Coaching is really important. Conscious and intentional relationships and becoming really intimate with yourself, which for a lot of men that I've talked to, they think that's kind of gross in a way. Right. Yeah. It's unnatural. Yeah. But yeah. So reframing that and knowing the more I know myself, the more I'm going to be able to share, to show up healthier for my partners and for my children or for my community. And what is more masculine in a way 
than being able to be grounded. Yeah, I, it just it it yeah it, it, it all all of these things always end up I end up thinking about myself and like where I'm at and sometimes it you know it doesn't hit me in the right spot because I'm like I'm not there and or yeah I had a chaotic upbringing like who I got I got some work to do um if you don't mind I'd like to and 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 we don't have to we can we can we can I can edit edit it out but I'm curious um to know where you're currently at and what you what you have struggled with in your attachment styles with my attachment I was in a relationship for almost 11 years and in the be- I was more avoidant definitely uh, and I felt like if I was anxious that I would be pushed away and I think a lot of people that I've known and worked with that are more on the avoidance spectrum it's like they're worried that if they become more emotionally unavailable, they'll be pushed away because it's pretty much the same wounding with anxious and avoidant, but just different ways of approaching it and behaving and reacting in response. So I, there's some stigma around kind of owning up to this and I haven't worked sure. with somebody who, um, somebody who's done the adult attachment interview but I would say that I came from more of a disorganized background of attachment. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you, um, cause this is something I struggle with. Uh, I struggle with not putting that blame on my, my mother particularly. Um, did you have any struggles around, around that? Like putting that blame on, on your parents and, and feeling uh, resentful to them because you've had your, your attachment style be um, difficult in your relationships. That makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, You know, I have, I have, I've gone through stages of not being very close with both of my parents and I have this incredibly maybe rare, but experience that I'm really grateful for and that my parents and I have really great relationships now. Mm. And I think a reason why I came into or why I had disorganized attachment was because they were so focused on their own lives because of their own trauma that they'd experienced. So as I got into my 20s, I became aware of their experience, not in a codependent way, like I had to take care of them, like, which is how I felt when I was younger. But instead, I needed to go through that anger. I needed to go through that resentment, maybe not the resentment, but the anger for sure and express it and just be with it and allow it to be there until I could get to this place of compassion with them of, Oh my God, they're just humans too. They were young. They were doing the best that they could. Yeah. Did, did there, was there any conversations between you and them that, that where they apologized in a genuine way? Did that, if that did occur, did that help? And if it didn't, did you need that? Yes, it did happen. Yes. I did get apologies for it and it was really healing. And if we're talking about emotionally immature caretakers, if you're unable to get that apology because they don't have a level of awareness, you can do the grieving on your own too, mm. of this is something that they can't ever give me. And I, you know, I wish that I could have had this and what would have, have felt like to have that. And that's a really important step too, yeah. especially in treating relational trauma or attachment. There's this guy, Daniel P. Brown, who's worked at Harvard forever. Um, And he says that moving towards secure attachment, one of the most important things to do is the ideal parent protocol. So really using active visualization to know what it would would feel like to be with somebody who's attuned and present and caring and delights in you and makes you feel safe and secure. And so 
in that you can do that and you can also grieve not having that and i think really allowing whatever emotion to come up and being with it is is really important because maybe you didn't get that experience from your parents and so you you sort of fill that void by yourself right i mean you you learn how to 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 give yourself what you didn't get you learn how to give yourself what you didn't get yeah you become your own inner parents um you become your own inner father your own inner mother the structure, the caring, what have you. And I think co-regulation is really important too. So if you don't have a partner, then maybe you have friends, community, therapists, somebody else that you can be there because that's really important too. You can't just do it all on your own. And especially I'm thinking if somebody is more avoidant, that might be what they want to do. But if you make the step into being vulnerable and sharing the side of yourself with somebody who is safe to you, that's where a lot of your healing is going to come in too, in that co-regulation in recognizing it's safe for me. And it's actually really important that we depend on other people. For, for you, what, where did you lean uh, or, or who? Therapy, therapy, therapist or friends? I think, yeah. I mean, the first steps I started, I tried with one of my previous partners, but he wasn't at that place in his life. So that emotional loneliness that I felt led me to meditation Hmm. and for a while that felt like it really cradled me and yoga that experience with my own self my own body and then believe it or not through school I went to like liberal arts schools I started to make friends who are willing to have these really emotional heart-to-heart conversations and that's what really opened me up too. first it was the relationship that I had with myself through yoga and meditation getting to that place where I could feel a little bit stable enough to make those vulnerable moves to sharing and then finding people who were on the same path and felt mm. like they could receive it well I mean that's kind of the part of the key right find your tribe right find your people yeah, totally yeah yeah and know that rejection is a part of it too right mm. And it's just, it's just leading you in, in a different direction. That's actually more aligned with your authentic path. Did you have any setbacks in your journey where you were you, so you were avoidant, maybe you tried to open up a little bit and were rejected and had to, to you know, uh, sort of not start all over, but f- probably feels like you're starting all over. Well, I w- I presented as more avoidant in the relationship that I was in for a very long time. However, I would say that I was actually more disorganized. So I did have some setbacks. I did have rejection. When I left, when the relationship ended with my partner of so long, I was still in that space of wanting partnership, but I was just sure. feeling like I needed to be on my own to figure out who I was. So I kind of dated a couple of people in between there where I was wanting a level of connection that was not there, right? And so I experienced rejection and in those moments, it felt like, I, it almost feels like death, right? It's like, yes, yeah, yes. because you aren't belonging to the community is what it feels like in that moment. Yeah. And then all my stuff came up of, I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not like whatever enough, all these things, right? Right. And then um, in a partnership after that, I tried non-monogamy, which I really thought was something that I think I was hiding my attachment fears in it, Mm. in the pursuit, in the in the pursuit of multiple partners, right? I was scared to be with one person. That was my experience. I'm not saying that that is everybody's experience. However, that was mine. Sure. And, um, And so in that experience, I ended up feeling so dysregulated all the time. I felt scared. I didn't know what, like I needed security, 
but I wasn't feeling it from my primary partner. And that was really devastating to me. And I think, yeah, I think if somebody is going to pursue non-monogamy or polyamory, that reading a book like Polysecure and having therapists, if you have insecure attachment is a priority, you need it because it rocks your world so intensely. And if you have that trauma come up and you don't have support, it it can be really hard to get through it. So would you, would you ever go back to uh, trying that? Um, I think for me, I need to, what feels most important to me is to be in a healthy, safe, loving, reciprocal, reciprocated relationship. Sure. And so that is primarily the focus when I'm in partnership. I'm enjoying being single now. And I think it's really important if you're drawn to it, to be in self-partnership to know what feels good to you so you don't just fall into things um, like patterns, right? Yeah. And and so that's really the primary focus. I also know that non-monogamy and polyamory takes a lot of resources. And although love is infinite, resources are finite, right? So I have a lot of other things that I'm doing in my life, (laughs) as we all do. It's like, I don't really feel like I have the space for it, but I'm not a no. I think probably we're all just like with attachment theory on a spectrum of some kind. Maybe with sexuality, maybe with gender, maybe with relationship containers, maybe we're not though. And so for me, I don't really feel drawn to have sex with with like multiple people, but I think, you know, that's just the stage of life where I'm at. Maybe after being with somebody again for 10 years, it would be something to talk about. And I think that's important that we talk about those things too, but not without dogma. For me, that was really hard, right? Because you can hear, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like monogamous people will say monogamy is the only way and polyamorous people (laughs) will say you're that like hardcore. Yes. So kind of, you know, saying fuck you to the dogma and coming back into your own authenticity and what feels good and right for you and allowing yourself to change. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you have, I think it all comes back to knowing yourself, right? All of this stuff is sort of centered around that. Which is annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's so yeah. hard. It's so hard. And I think, you know, people come into therapy or coaching and I've done this too. And I'm like, I just want to fix. Yeah. I just want to you to fix yeah. this. I want this to be easy. And it's not. It's not because we're fallible, unique, like multifaceted yeah. humans. Every day is different which also is really incredible because if we can see ourselves and then when we're in relationship from a place of curiosity and gratefulness, we can have healthier, more secure partnerships. No, agreed. It, 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 it comes down to doing that, that work, that, that really difficult, hard work. So, and I I say this all the time uh, to to the guys, we got to do the work. You got to do the work. I'm never, honestly sure what the hell that means to do the work um, i just know we need to do some work uh you know discover who you are and, and 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 i guess it's different paths for different folks but what how would you define that like what is doing the work to heal and to discover yourself um for you what is that what is that's a really good question the work for me is sitting in discomfort and sitting in boredom and sitting in pain right so just beginning to notice becoming that witness consciousness. That to me is the hardest thing that we can do, especially in the world that we're in now with dopamine hits everywhere. And 
you know, new, new, or we can swipe with thousands of people a day if we want to, and then put that thing back in our pocket, or we can drink our pain yep. away, or whatever it is. And so, the work to me is being able to really notice the tea we're steeped in, or begin to recognize our operating system, and then making conscious decisions from there. Is this who I want to be? Is that who I was when I was 17? Mm. Is that who my community wants mm. me to be? Is you know? Um, and then taking steps towards your, I don't want to say highest self, but your healthiest sure. self, your most authentic, loving self. Yeah, that's a tricky thing that I struggle with sometimes because I say, you know, work on yourself, be a better person. But it's like, you know, that language is a little funny because that implies that there's something wrong with you as is. Yeah. And there isn't, but the, but you can improve. It's sort of a, a strange um tug of war that I, I I sometimes take within myself it's like yes I want to be better but that doesn't mean I'm bad mm-hmm. and that's something that totally. yeah I that's a, I think that's a, a message that um is important for someone just starting through this process it's not that you're bad it's just that you can be better whatever that means yeah well yeah totally and we can so often internalize the bad within us right like we have a very narcissistic society and what that really means is there isn't a core identity within so we like you know they internalize the bad and so they need to be up to seem big right so really getting comfortable with yeah the flaws within and i used to have this post-it note up on my mirror in the bathroom like so every morning when i took a shower i could see it and it said you're a masterpiece and you can use a little work i like that (laughs) And I can't remember where it came from, but I think, you know, that's, that's really important for all of us to recognize yeah. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it can be, it can be difficult to get bogged down in that negative view and, and to internalize all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the the last thing that I ask someone, and, and we don't have to necessarily wrap up, but, but, you know, we can come back to other things. This might branch off it is the question I always ask is what advice would you give to men that are just starting out in this process, this, this uh, rejection, this divorce, this separation, like when they're just feeling lost and, and hurt, um, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to those men? I think I would say find all the ways in you where you felt abandoned throughout your life and ways that you've abandoned yourself and your own emotional needs and begin to acknowledge them and nurture yourself there. And I think another step too is really creating and understanding cohesive narratives around your childhood. Mm -hmm. So what happened? How did you feel? And your past relationships, are there patterns there? You know, like you were saying earlier, ways that you could be accountable in a gentle, compassionate way, right? Of what, what was my role in this? And how can I grow into a healthier, more, more whole version of myself by accepting each and every piece of myself, even the parts of myself that I'm not proud of? Yeah, it's a tough, um, it can be a tough thing to do, uh, but it is necessary. I 100% agree because if you don't, and you have to be gentle, there's no question, but if you don't take that accountability, um, then what are you left with? Like what, what you can't affect them. You can't, there's nothing you can do about them. Um, you can not be happy about their decision, but you can't change it. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are your options? Um, yeah. Live in bitterness and anger. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a component at times. It can be a good fuel mm-hmm. anger. Uh, it can, it, you know, it, it can be a dangerous one too. Um, uh, but it, but it is there. It is a part of it, but if you sit in it uh, again, where, where are you going with that? You know, to be mm-hmm. angry and bitter for the rest of your life sounds miserable to me. Um mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, it's lonely too. Oof, yeah, and it, and it's easier said than done. True, to 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 be honest, all of this stuff is, as, as we said before. But sometimes these conversations just get me—not sometimes, all the time—just get me in my head. Sometimes just thinking about, you know, my journey and and why I landed where I did and wound up where I did and the choices I've made and and you know, just sometimes it it um, kind of keeps me off my toes, so to speak. Where I just I'm I'm not. Um, sometimes I lack the ability to have these conversations while learning and thinking about these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get lost in my own thoughts, thinking about some of the things you say, and then I reflect, uh, try not to, but um, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, because, and the other thing is, I think I try to put myself in their shoes mm -hmm. uh, while I've been there. So it's not too hard, but especially when I ask a question about that, like it brings me back to how I was initially and how, how devastated um, and hurt and uh, whew, I, you know, it destroys you. It, it really does. And, and, yeah. and there are many factors that can make it worse, perhaps like them choosing another person if they cheated on you and that kind of stuff, which is sort of what happened with me, but um, it, it's a devastating time. And I don't think there's a, there's, there's not a quick fix. There isn't a quick fix, but as you're saying that, you know, I'm really thinking about the spaciousness between like the core shame identity and mm. versus like feeling shame yeah. or the core, you know what I mean? Yes. Like taking it on versus, and I know I hear what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I've been left for other people too. I've been cheated on mm. and it's so hard not to make it about something that's wrong yeah. with you. Yes, it is. It, but, but that's, it's, that's not a truth. It's not about you. It's not. No, no, it's really not. I mean, whatever it, whatever thing you could be telling yourself that it's about, there's going to be somebody who's the best at whatever it is. And they've right. been hurt. They've been cheated on. They've been betrayed. Right. Yeah. And trust recovery is such a huge part towards being in healthy relationships. If you go through something like that, but there's also a kind of like trust recovery with yourself too. True. True. Because there is a component of this is all my fault sort of, but also mm -hmm what what did i you know yeah what what did i do to cause this there, that is a, it may not be an always active thought uh, but i think it is an undercurrent that's there because of course we're all egocentric so if something happened i you know the sun definitely revolves around me i'm positive i've seen it <laughs> yeah. like if i stop yeah. the world stops and so if yeah. something does occur you, you're going to do that even if outwardly you're like yeah fuck her she did it she cheated but but there's going to be a component mm -hmm. of you that that definitely blames yourself and and it's it's to make sure that you're, yes, you need ownership. Yes, you need accountability, but it's not all your fault. It's, and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's not your doing per se, even if you did certain number of things wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Really looking at the nuance that it's not black and white, that there is a little bit of both on both sides. Sure. Yeah. Have, have you, you, you said you've, you've been cheated on and stuff. Did, did you, and I don't know the, the, the way this works for women as it does for men, but uh, and I know for men, anger is an acceptable emotion uh, over anything else. So a lot of our pain comes out in anger. Mm -hmm. And 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 there are guys that really struggle with it and are very vulnerable to like that red pill, black pill, whatever yes. these things red are. Pill, yeah. yeah, like all women suck essentially. In <laughs> yes, those yeah. guys who just need a hug and maybe a hand job. <laughs> um, um, do, did you struggle with anger ever at, at a, a cheating party? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I really shoved it down. Yeah. And it became, I, I, I numbed for a really long time. Mm. 
um, you know, my vices with the internet and other people and drinking, you know, and I'm really, it took me a while to step into this acknowledgement of, oh, I have anger and what's underneath that anger hurt and not feeling good enough and feeling like this is going to happen to me again, right? Like this core seed fear was put into me that I'm going to be a left for somebody younger when I'm older. And so if I love somebody, they're going to hurt me and it's going to be in this huge betrayal way. I don't want that fear. I don't want that core seed fear, you know, but really unearthing it can help is helping me and in the work that I do with other people to nurture that part where it's coming from, where that belief stems from. And so I don't, and people don't choose partners then that will, that will reenact that pattern for me. Well, that's a wrap for episode 20. Uh, Tony and I talked for a while after, and it started getting into some personal stuff. So I stopped recording and I forgot to, uh, to start it again and, and to do a proper wrap up. But I want to thank Tawny for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I thought it was a great conversation. Uh, there's, there's so much to this stuff and, and I know it won't apply to some of you. I know that there are things here that maybe you're not ready to hear because you're not at that part in your journey where you want to start looking at other partners and, and slightly before you do that, you, you want to look at these things, I think. You want to understand yourself so that you know how to have a better relationship the next time. And so that's why these episodes, I think, are really important. It's not about just healing and getting over what we've gone through. It's also about having a better relationship the next time. Who the fuck wants to go through this shit again? So if we don't do this kind of work, we're going to end up right back where we were. So these things are important. Look at these things. Look at your attachment style. Try and figure yourself out. And and it's a continual, hard, difficult fucking process. No question. But it's worth it, in my view. So thank you for tuning into this one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you get something from it. I wanted to let you know that I've made some more updates to the website, and there is more coming. There is a um, My Story section, which is very brief. There is a uh, that there will be a page per episode coming up. I have the template. I'm I'm really starting to learn how to use this WordPress shit. Um, and I also I have uh, I almost have a new logo. Uh, I paid someone to develop something, and we're just on the final revisions. I hope you guys dig it. Um, if not, um, you know, maybe I'll go back to the drawing board, but, but I'm digging it so far. It's, it's a little different, but it's still a Phoenix and it's, and it's rising up. Um, so it's a, it's a, yeah, well, you'll see. Um, I also have a link to buy me a coffee on the website. Uh, you certainly don't have to, I'm not, um, it's not a, it's not a necessity. It would be appreciated. Uh, there's no question there, but it's, uh, it's not a necessity. Um, if you want to help me with some of the costs I've incurred, that'd be great. But if not, no worries. I'm still going to be pumping these things out. Uh, I will probably at some point be doing some type of ads on the website, but uh, I'm not there yet. So it's it's a it's I'm learning uh, with WordPress, but it's a very slow process. Uh, obviously, you can see that. So um, in the future, I would I would suggest probably, perhaps for selfish reasons, uh, truthfully, that you guys just um, that you go to the website to listen. Uh, you certainly don't have to, and there will be other things on a website. I, like I said, I'm building it out. Um, I'm working on 
a couple of different things. So, so stay tuned. Until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Delahanty and all of my brothers at the Alpha Code. Please reach out and connect with me and other like-minded men on the Facebook group page, Rising Phoenix Podcast. This group will be used to discuss released episodes, future episodes, and to discuss any and all things that come from dealing with a divorce, separation, or breakup. I look forward to connecting with you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence just like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.